Hello and welcome to this week's episode of From the Gravel Trap Podcast. I'm Josh Chambers. And I'm James Stanley. Uh, this week, um, we're starting a little bit differently as there was uh, some news that I'm sure everyone has heard um, that uh, during the Moto3 qualifying uh, this week, there was a, a terrible accident and unfortunately, uh, the 19-year-old Swiss rider Jason de Pasquier uh, sadly passed away. So just to start off the podcast before going into any of the racing action that happened, we just wanted to pass on our condolences to Jason's friends, family um, and the teams and the, the paddocks in general as this affects the whole racing community as a whole. Uh, as we saw, um, the racing did still go ahead this weekend, uh, a minute's silence before the the main races for the World Superbike and the MotoGP. Um, but... As they said on the commentary, it's one of those things that he would have wanted the racing to go ahead. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely the worst part of the sport in general because we don't want to be reminded how dangerous it is, but it it is very dangerous and sometimes we can forget how dangerous this sport is. Exactly. Part of the attraction to it is the danger, um, but unfortunately that that risk is there and, as you say, a very... Uh, Prominent reminder of the risks in motorsport. In today's episode is the three races from the World Superbikes at Estoril and obviously the three races from Magella. Yes, and uh, of course uh, our podcast is, as always, brought to you by Beyond Motorsport, the only organisation bringing you career transition support for the motorsport community. So we'll uh, go on to, first of all, the World Superbike Racing, um, a good race on the Saturday in race one with um, some unexpected results, I'd say. Yeah, definitely, um, especially when you look at the winner Scott Redding and what tyre he chose being on what, what the was it the SCX tyre I, yeah. I don't know why they just don't go soft medium hard like everywhere else it'd make it so much easier yeah yeah there's the X the S the C, X, X is the softest one I think the SC0 is still a soft but it's not as soft as the X right so and lots of uh lots different of them. and then you've got they've got different types of front tyres as well it's, oh, it's a lot of, lot of confusion on the tyre front but Scott was on the X tyre, which is the softest of them all, which a tyre that he said would be impossible for the bigger riders to run in any long distance race. Yes, yeah, something he'd he'd previously said he'd he'd never be able to win on. Yeah, it's unfair. The bigger riders can't do it, but <laughs> he went there, he used it, and he won. Yeah, yeah, and it was a, a good win by Scott, nearly a second over the the race favourite. For, for the weekend, really. Top rack after his performance there last year. I mean, he he did have a good showing, finishing second. Um, he didn't make the best of starts across the weekend, but was in and around that group most of the the way. Um, and Johnny Ray coming up there to finish third. Someone, you know, the Kawasaki you'd written off last week. Yeah, I certainly had top rack going the clean sweep and not much from the Kawasaki's. And like we saw in the race, you had... Uh, Scott and Toprak on the the X, the softer tire at the front, and then about a sec. Ray was about a second behind him for most of the race, and then because he was on the slightly harder the SC zero, and then you saw him gain on them towards the end, and then he maybe if he could have got the move done on Toprak, he could have got past Scott as well. But that's obviously so yeah, you, you can exactly. Say all and it, it was about ten laps ago, wasn't it? You saw yeah. Ray 
really start to pick up the pace. And, you know, the day on the Sunday, uh, Scott was saying that he had a, a lot of cold tear from that tyre um, and just started to go towards the end of the race where Ray on that different tyre, which was something, again, we saw across the, the weekend, yeah. that was that he he went with what he knows, that that, <laughs> that uh, Johnny Ray-Perry-Reba combination of just go with what you know yeah. and it and it works and obviously it works because it's got them six world championships yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was a a really close race throughout we had lots of lots of different battles uh, and Garrett Gerloff um, making some nice moves towards the the end of the race in this one we'll talk about yeah. what happened uh, uh, later on um, but a really strong top three but if we just go through sort of the results from this one um Scott Redding obviously won top rack, uh, comes in second, and Johnny Ray. That was a really strong showing from the top three. Garrett Gerloff, as we said, making moves uh, towards the end of the race. And Michael Ruben Rinaldi, a bit more showing of the promise that we saw last year getting up there into fifth. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, they were suggesting maybe first race, the pressure may have got to him a little first race in the factory team, but it certainly, he put in a better showing, and who knows what his results could have been in some of the other races. Yeah, exactly. Chaz Davis uh, having a good ride on uh, the Go 11 Ducati. And Michael van der Mark, the first of the BMWs in seventh. Um, looked like he might not have been with Eugene Laverty having a really, really strong ride, but unfortunately crashing out. Yeah, he went down with 13 to go. Um, when you when you look at the back to the, actually the, sat, the earlier in the day on the Saturday for the qualifying, it just shows how important qualifying is for the likes of Chaz Davis, who ended up with the yellow flag infringement yeah. in the starting way down on the grid. Yeah, so that was Tito Rabat. He, it was a really strange incident, yeah. I thought. It's because he didn't crash. He just ran off the track. And then it was Lowe's, um, Chaz Davis, uh, Alvaro Bautista, all having to start much lower down the grid. And I've actually got a note for, for race three uh, with Chaz that was... Just think what would have happened if he could have exactly. qualified better. Because he, he's been really good at Aragon, uh, Aragon at Estoril beforehand as well. Yeah, because he, I think he was a, a second, a fourth and a first in the last, in the... Yeah, rounding out the year with that win, which was uh, yeah. super important for him. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, the, the rest of the top ten, uh, Alvaro Batista on the Honda, the first Honda, sort of as we'd expect. He had shown some pace over the weekend, but as we said, uh, his best lap taken away under that yellow flag. Tito Rabat getting a bit more comfortable um, with his Ducati, finishing in ninth, perhaps looking a bit stronger on that front end. Yeah, start, gradually making that steady progress. I I think this will definitely be a learning season, being on... A GP bike for so long, it's definitely uh, it's going to take a, a while to familiarise yourself with a different type of bike. Exactly, and uh, familiarising yourself with a totally different class, Andrea Locatelli showing his um, absolute pedigree, uh, a top 10 in this one. Yeah, definitely, it was a sign of things to come really for Locatelli in the weekend. Yeah, yeah, saying that he uh, was adapting to the bike. Something that uh, made me laugh before the Super Bowl, Super Pole race, uh, was uh, when they talked to Michael uh, Vandermark on the grid. Uh, it was Charlie Hiscock talking to him and uh, talking about how he was uh, progressing to the BMW <laughs> and they were seeing he was getting his elbow down. And, and he was like, So have you consciously changed your riding style? And he said, Oh, it's just for Instagram. <laughs> and then pushed a little bit more. He just said, no, I'm just I'm just being lazy in my old age and hanging off the bike more. So you know, as as uh, good a straight answer as you often get from uh, Michael Vandermark, as uh, after his uh, race interview 
for Aragon just singing the tequila song down the microphone. <laughs> so um, great from the Dutchman for entertainment value. Uh, what did you make of the Super Bowl race then? Um, well, one of the main things I thought was incredible was, well, through the entire weekend was Toprak on the brakes. How good he was into the, the first corner. I think it really showed back looking into the first race in general. I know I've gone back, but just Ray just couldn't get past him into the yeah. first just because of how late he was. It was incredible. And that was shown on like the second lap when he took both Ray and Scott into the first corner. Yeah, and the the speed of the Yamaha seems a lot better this yeah. year compared to the Kawasaki. With They had effectively a drag race down, I think it was in race two, the, the third race of the weekend, <laughs> down the straight. And there was nothing really between them. And then it was top rack on the brakes. There was nothing wrong with the power of that Yamaha. Um, but as as we say, with the we expected him to be so dominant over the weekend. But this time, uh, second again for Top Rack, but this time beaten by Johnny Ray. Yeah, which was, to be fair, really surprising. First of all, it's not a track right. This is the first, this is the first race he'd actually ever won at Estoril. And also, he was on that the slightly harder tyre, which is very strange for a sprint race. They're usually all on the X and pushing to the limit, but both him, Lowe's, and Mahias were out on the SC0 tyre. Yeah, and Lowe's and Dingy Ding, uh, a good result after crashing out in uh, the, the first race of the weekend on the Saturday. Um, when he was showing promise as well, there were a lot of people who showed a lot of promise this weekend. Uh, Garrett Gerloff starting this race with um, great... Uh, promise with with Johnny Ray getting off the line and going with the uh, top rack and uh, and some other people that made some interesting choices on tyres was uh, Luca Mahias he had the same as Ray and Lowe's but unfortunately crashing out on lap two uh, perhaps not being able to get the heat into those h- harder tyres perhaps I think actually they did say on the commentary I think he got tangled with someone I think it <laughs> I think it may have actually been it might have been Gerloff I'm not sure. But I remember something being said about him having an insult. I'm not sure if it was... Could it, actually, was that the... It wasn't Ponson, was it? Because he also went down on lap two. I didn't think it was related. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm now thinking getting my... Arag- going back to the Aragon race where he got tangled with someone. Yeah, that was good. I it think. was, was Yeah, it? yeah. I thought so. Yeah. But there, it was, there was a, quite a bit of a sort of bashing around as the weekend went on. This race, sort of ward, towards the end, it was the, the battle between the uh, privateer Ducatis and the Go 11 <laughs> of uh, Chaz Davis and, uh, and Tito Rabat getting pushed out of the way by Chaz. <laughs> yeah, he barged him out of the way, but Chaz was desperate to get in that because he needed to get in the top nine to get the grid place for yeah, the third race. Because if not, he'd be at the back again. Exactly. And just uh, Pippin Alvaro Bautista, who was another one who really, yeah. really needed that. Um, it was a really strong win for Johnny Ray, as we said. Something that we, we didn't expect. I always say he's the king of the sprint race. Yeah. Um, but really, he's the king of superbikes. But, <laughs> you know, especially in the sprint race, really showing what he could do. Top rack. Uh, another good result for Scott Redding in the sprint race as well, keeping that championship close. Yeah, he's there putting in the good results, battling hard. Um, just looking back to what we were saying about Chaz and Alvaro battling for that top nine because of how important it is to get into the qualifying for third when you're looking back in qualifying in general because i saw they were talking to the the one of the yamaha guys before the third race i'm not sure if you saw it and they were discussing potential changes for the super pole because he was he 
he didn't want to say it was too harsh the yellow flag right because at the end of the day it saved him we, like we, we've seen how important yeah. safety yeah. is but there were but he was getting along the lines of well the issue is we've got the super pole tire and that's barely going for one lap so once you go through the yellow car it's done yeah so he's he was saying i think they should get rid of the super pole as in the super super but the, the qualifying tire in general right yeah but he was also saying, like, but for Pirelli, it's a good selling point. Look, look at the lap times they're doing on this qualifying tire, mm. and it's but they're not sets gonna, headlines. They're not going to sell that kind of tire. To no, you. but it's more, it's more the headlines, isn't it? Like, look at these lap times the yeah. super bikes are doing. Yeah, maybe you want Pirelli tires for your bike at home, and you can drive halfway down the street, and then you can't <laughs> use that tire anymore. But I, I do get what you mm. mean, all, all jokes aside. But it is harsher than we see the qualifying in say MotoGP where you can go out you can put a banking lap in and that that's sort of where things had, had gone wrong for some of them that they'd gone out and they put a banking lap in yeah. but if they had that one removed then you haven't got a banking lap so you've got to be more careful on your actual out like your second real qualifying stint and then you might not get the the spot that you're capable of, which then causes problems if you're further down in the mm. race. You're not with people that you'd normally be around, and we know what problems that can yeah. cause for for riders. Um, but it is interesting, like you say, it's a a different concept that we see in to to MotoGP and British Superbike. Mm. So, do you think the qualifying tyres should be a thing they have, or? Oh, I guess it adds excitement value to a point. Um, I think the, the what was the issue was this one, and we know it's safety, mm. but like I said, it was an odd yellow flag in that Tito hadn't uh, crashed. There was no debris on the track. He was out the way. He was still on the bike, and he was still mm. circulating effectively. He'd just run on. Yeah. Um, I feel like that was more of an issue than the 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 concept of the super pole this time. Mm. I know it's just it's just any crash in future will have the same consequence of people starting the lockdown, and it's 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 for two of the races, isn't it? Which is the big thing. Yeah, so it sets the grid for the uh, the first race and the super pole race, and then, like we say, that makes that position of getting into the top nine in race two. Uh, sorry, in in the Super Bowl race, all the more important for race two. Um, overall, I don't think it's been that big of a talking point before, mm. so I don't have so much of a problem with it. Okay, person, I I I personally just like the non. Yeah, I think if you're gonna use that tire, a qualifying tire, do the old was it the one lap at a time? What's it called the Oh, like they, they used, used to, to do. do. It was Super Pole still. But yeah, they, yeah, that's what it I was. was yeah. You go out and you're on your own. Yeah, and it's one lap. And yes, yeah. That I'd prefer if they're going to use the qualifying that, tire. Yeah, that's a really interesting concept. I did used to like that one. So I've completely I. forgotten about that. <laughs> that was about 20 years ago. Well, maybe not that much. No, I do it, remember it happening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, so it must have been the 2010s. 10, yeah, about 10 under, years ago, yeah. probably. Gosh, yeah. Because I, I remember James Toesland coming off in one of the qualifying for... Anyway, we digress. But <laughs> yes, that is a that is a very interesting idea to go back to the Cause then if you, single rider sort of shootout. Yeah, exactly, because then if you do make a mistake, it's not penalising, say, four or five other riders as yeah, well. Yeah, but then you can't draft anybody that's quicker than you. 
um, if we have a look on to uh, race two, um, again, it's a, a, a very close race and not without its drama right from the beginning. Um, top Rack, he, we said how good he can be at this <laughs> yeah. track, anticipating getting that good launch, getting that amazing breaking down to the first corner, and he jumps the start. He does. Oh, About, I'd, I, I still convinced Reddin's jumped it as well. I've got he, written down <laughs> Top Rack and Reddin yeah, jump start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I saw at the time, I saw Top Rack go and I just saw Reddin move. And then when they showed the replay, it did look like Reddin went yeah. just before the lights went yeah, out. Yeah, it, Top Rack jumped and stopped. And I think him jumping, I am sure, like yeah, you say, yeah. Scott I was then convinced went. But... I was thinking when it when it came up, are we, we going to have any jump starts? And, and James Whitten, you know, was talking about top rack, only top rack. And yeah. I was thinking, I was I'm like, sure, yeah. I'm sure when this comes through, it's going to be Scott as well. But yeah. no, nothing. And he's, even he's... when and when it came through, I was like, oh, he mustn't jump. But then when they showed the replay of the stars, I was, I was kind of, oh, we knew top rack jumps. So the... I was just watching Reddy, and I was like, he's yeah. jumped. The only thing I can think of is that top rack jumped, and Reading timed it so well. That it was the lights went out, which made it look like he jumped, but he didn't. Yeah, that's the only thing I can think of, and and those they're two, all censored, so it's must, yeah, it yeah. mustn't have jumped. Yeah, it, it's but... it's not you know a bloke with a flag <laughs> stood at the end of the road going did he didn't he or oh, I like that guy no he didn't. <laughs> it's it is all trackers these days, so he can't. Mm. It, I think he must have. Maybe he did unintentionally go early, maybe earlier than he mm-hmm. wanted to, but he must have in essence, timed it perfectly. Yeah. Because it was those uh, that uh, Scott that got away at the front and then Top Rack, considering how bad the start was, worked his way up there and was going with um, Scott Redding. Then behind them, you've got Johnny Ray and Michael Rupert Rinaldi. Mm. So a very interesting clash between those two. Um, Johnny Ray had talked about uh, Scott Redding being a bit more aggressive, a bit more rough and tumble with him this year, but he seems to be getting it from everybody. He got it from <laughs> Gerloff uh, at Aragon the weekend before, and Ronaldo oh, now bumping him out the way. On lap one, giving him the, the big punt. Yeah, exactly. It was it just barging right out of the way. No respect for the six-time world champion. Nothing. Get out of my way. <laughs> um, someone else who was quite excitable. I've literally got written down, very excitable, Garrett Gerloff. And this was on lap one and uh, one and two. And I was thinking, he is looking, you know, he's looking like he wants this. But he's also Mm. looking a bit on the edge, which was something I said the week before. And I was thinking, oh, please don't do anything silly. And then he messes, well, he he didn't mess up the braking, did he? It looked like the front more... It like tucked. I'm not sure if it tucked and then... Yeah. And just... Into Michael Ruber Ronaldo. I think he was so un. I th- I just felt I felt actually sorry for Gerloff because it's not. I don't think he outbroke himself. It didn't look like he he broke too hard in the wheel. Coffee had to release the brake or he went for a move. Like you said, I I think the front tucked. Yeah. And it picked up. And, and then, it just started bucking. There was yeah. there was nothing he could have done no. about that one. That wasn't a lunge. Like with Johnny Ray. Yeah. The weekend before at Aragon, he did make a lunge. Mm. However, this time. He couldn't do anything. However, it is now two race twos yeah. in a row on a Sunday that he's taken down another rider. I, I do feel like the commentators were a tad harsh when 
And not, I wasn't witting it. I can't remember the other commentator, but he, he was mentioning it. I wouldn't be surprised if he saw Gerloff coming from pit lane next race. And I was like, well, that is that is going to happen. Is it? He is going to start from pit lane next I time. think that's really, really harsh. I do, uh, I do in a sense, that this one, perhaps not deserving of that punishment. However, yeah. in if you look at it in black and white, he's taken down two riders in I two races. He didn't take down Ray. Oh, come on. It, no, he didn't, but not by lack of trying. <laughs> he, he, the funny thing is, he's, the, the right one was worse, but Ray stayed oh, Well, he has taken down two riders oh, two weekends because yeah. he took down himself. Yeah. <laughs> and he, they did say he had a tumble with Mahias in the Aragon race. Yeah, exactly. So maybe. I, I just, still feel it's a bit harsh. Well. Because a pit lane is just. It's, I think it's if not the you, same as Moto you flesh it out and you look at the detail of the, the bucking Bronco that became his bike this time with Rinaldi. However, if you look at Mahias at Aragon, if you look at Johnny Ray at Aragon, they were moves he was trying to make. What, why not just a double long lap penalty? Like in Moto well, he already th- had that. And I've got him like Moto 3 where Artegas took out three, three riders and they said, next race, double long lap penalty. Yeah, but then we ended up with people starting from pit lane. I know they they were scrapping, yeah. but but we ended up with people starting from pit lane in Moto3. And I do think that with my steward head on, Garrett Gerloff, he took out Johnny mm. Ray. It was a dangerous move either way in the race with Johnny Ray. He was given a double long lap penalty. He's had that. He's then now taken down another rider, albeit... A race, more of a racing incident this time, yeah. but there has to be an escalation in what happens there. Yeah. I, I, Harsh the, as on, it may be. On the plus side, at least it's going to be only one of the three. It's not like in, say, if it happened in like, the GP series, that's your next race is completely ruined. You've exactly. still got two more to go. Yeah, he's not, not starting from the, the uh, pit lane hole. What line. I did, about the incident itself, what I did notice was on the lap before, coming down the straight, Ronaldo actually sat up to not overtake Redding. And then he got taken out. I was thinking, and when that happened, I was like, oh, only if he would have just made if the he had, move. If he'd just gone with it. <laughs> yeah, if he would have um, made the move. Because he like, sat up halfway down the straight, so he didn't, because he obviously just wanted to follow Reading. Yeah, yeah, to to just follow <laughs> through with it. If he would have just gone past him, it wouldn't, wouldn't have been him. Exactly. Uh, top Rack, as we're talking of long lap penalties, Top Rack did get yeah. uh, a double long lap penalty for his jump start. Um, out of the lead, which was kind of going, because... Yeah, top rack through bits of like qualify. He could, he's one that could have qualified better, because he had his banking lap. We talked about this earlier. Yeah. He had his banking lap taken away, so perhaps didn't push as as much because he didn't want to go track. down or exceed yeah. track limits or whatever uh, on his on his pace lap. So he was down a bit. He he's he comes second twice in the the weekend, but I feel like. If it hadn't been for these little bits, he could yeah. have been much more. But finishing third, uh, even after a double long lap penalty, um, and not gifted, but the battle that we saw, <laughs> Johnny Ray coming strong again, like we saw in the sprint race towards mm. the end, and catching Scott Redding, and I thought we were on for a bit of a battle. It was, it, was, it was a great battle for the few corners it lasted. Yeah, and then unfortunately Scott Redding uh, sliding off. He did recover to finish 14. Yeah. Uh, so two points, which could be all important towards the end of the year. Um, however, depriving us of that battle with Top Rack and Scott Redding in this race. Yeah. It, it just seemed like he tr- tried to... Because he took a narrower line coming into it. And it looked like he tried to hug it tight. 
which we know is not a Ducati. Yeah, and you right. saw the, the 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 front wheel. It it tucked, and again it was one where it tucked, picked up, but this time it just went. Yeah, and he was so close to, to taking Johnny out. <laughs> I thought, oh my gosh, let, let's not uh, have people taking Johnny out again. Um, but uh, and that led to, as we say, Top Rack, who wouldn't have got on the podium after that long lap penalty. He gets the third place, but second, an absolutely brilliant result for Chaz Davis. Yes, like we said earlier, it shows how good he's, you can be when you qualify good. But obviously, looking at predictions later on, it did ruin my <laughs> my chance of a good point score because I had uh, Scott second and Chaz third. Yeah. But but a good it was a good result for yeah. Chaz. And... Top Ducati. Yes. Oh, well, you know, he was uh, playing second fiddle a little bit to, to Scott at Aragon, uh, expectedly, I yeah. would say. However, beating Michael Rubin and Audi. But really, Chaz is showing, you know, you, you <laughs> took me off the factory team. Did you make the right choice? But still flying those Ducati colours, which is yeah. a, the, the mint green Ducati <laughs> colour. Um, a good race uh, finish for uh, Alex Lowe's. As we said, he, he toppled out of the first race, but another good result for him in fourth. And fifth, Andrea Locatelli. Absolutely brilliant. We said a top ten was good. A top five, even better. Yeah, it was a fantastic ride. Obviously helped from a few fall, three falling off in front of him, but it's, the, it's still, still fantastic. Has to, it still he's... has to finish, obviously. It's a great ride to get fifth place. You saw him come over the line, I buzzing he was really yeah exactly and I do think that going forward he's going to grow in stature and we're going to see him further up near the the top end uh I think before the end of the year we'll see him up on the podium yeah. uh podium I don't know there's the Ray Toprak and Redding are looking a different class at the moment I think a little bit of luck and you mm. know we, we say Alex Lowe's has been up there on the podium. Yeah. We've had Chaz on the podium. Anything can happen across, you know, three mm. races a weekend. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets at least one podium before the end of the year. I would be surprised. <laughs> well, we'll keep track of that we can one. put a sandwich on it if you want. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> one sandwich on uh, Locatelli gets a podium before the end of the year. Yeah. I really hope he likes Mazzano. <laughs> <laughs> well, he should. He should be an Italian. Um and having experience around that track, so yeah. maybe that's a well, we'll we'll see. Could be an early early payout. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very nice, especially with us heading to uh, the BSB Alton Park relatively soon. You can go get my lunch. <laughs> um, sixth place, Michael Van der Mark again doing really well on that BMW, followed by a better result for Alvaro Bautista on the Honda, uh, showing a bit more promise that Honda. They spoke to uh, Leon Camier. Uh, saying that it's not quite the bike that it can be yet, mm. uh, but showing a bit more from Alvaro. Yeah, like, like I think they've said quite a few times, they've got so many different parts to test out with so few testing days to do it. It's just it's going to be a slow development this season. And talking about development, I think BMW are doing a great job. Absolutely. We said Michael van der Mark finishing sixth, but... Uh, 8th and ninth, just behind Alvaro Bautista Tom Sykes on the other factory BMW and Eugene Laverty on the customer BMW as well yeah it's starting to look like a real real race bike again like it did a few years back exactly yeah and uh, rounding out the top 10 we had uh, Tito Rabat uh, another good finish like we said getting to grips with that Ducati so if we just have a quick look at the, the championship standings then uh, Johnny Ray 
uh, is top of the table, uh, 110 points. That's sort of what we'd expect. Uh, second, after a perhaps not as strong a weekend as we hoped for, but still a good weekend for top rack. Yeah, can't, can't, can't complain with three podiums, but not to pick up a win is, I think he will be disappointed. Yeah, um, 35 points behind top rack. It's uh, like we say, it's more than one race win. However, with three races in a weekend, anything can happen there still. And one point behind him in the championship, Scott Redding on uh, 74 points. So really all to play for. Yeah, definitely. It's it's looking to be a really good season because the Yamaha's certainly looking more a competitive bike. Absolutely, and hopefully we'll see the development of some of the other riders uh, and bikes as we go on. Talking of points and uh, predictions, we'll have a look at uh, the predictions. So, very close this week. Um, in the first race, we both got points. We picked up Rack to win. Uh, he didn't, but we got a point each for him being on the podium. Uh, I picked Johnny Ray to be second. He won, so I only get one point. And you picked Reading uh, to be second in that race. I think so. And uh, he finished uh, on the podium as well. One point. So two points there for that one. Um, The sprint race, I correctly picked the king of the uh, sprint race to beat Top Rack, which came in. So, four points there for me. You picked the right podium, however, in the wrong order for the sprint race. So, uh, Top Rack, Ray, Redding, uh, they got you a point each. And then we go on to race two. Uh, I got a point for Top Rack being on the podium and a point for Johnny Ray being on there. You got a point for Top Rack being on the podium. And Chaz Davies, your bold prediction, pays off in this one. However, overall, it's a win for me in the <laughs> Superbikes. Eight points to seven. I get the win on this one. <laughs> what does that take us to overall? Uh, you're still winning uh, overall. I'll have to go back and check that one overall. However, I've only won one overall this time. <laughs> so uh, you're still winning however many to mm. one. <laughs> So, if we uh, move on to the MotoGP, as we said, a very um, difficult weekend. Uh, the news uh, only coming out about Jason De Pasquier, uh after the Moto2 race. or Just, just, before, just, before, just before the Moto2 just, race. while they were on the grid. That's right, because they were discussing whether to tell riders um, or not. But uh, quite a bit of news coming out of this weekend that we'll just go to... Um, as we talk about going on forwards uh, for coming years, uh, Remy Gardner uh, in the the news this week that he's been signed to go to the MotoGP class next year with the Tech Trois KTM. Yeah, it's a it's a move we've talked about in the past that we'd like to see happen, and we're glad to see it happening because we do think Remy's definitely worth that shot and worth the ride in the GP. I, I just hope um, Raul steps up as well into the Tech Twog. I, I can't see Petrucci and Laquona being there. No, and it does make you wonder which seat they've sort of replaced yeah. uh, already, but neither rider particularly standing out. A, a okay finish for Petrucci in the wet at Le Mans, somewhere we know he likes, whether we know he gets on well in. Yeah. Um, but Remy there, it would be great to see Ralph Fernandez do that. Yeah. Jump, you know, one year in Moto2, 
um, doing so well and then making that jump up to uh, the MotoGP, which would also leave the two Moto2 bikes free for you got to think Pedro Acosta. Yeah, there's, I think the rumour has it's already agreed that he's in the Moto2 team with, KT, with the KTM IO squad. And we were discussing just before we started, if Raul was to go, who to go. You mentioned... Um, Jean-Marcier, who's then, already in the, the Akiayo camp. Yeah, but then I also threw in a bit of a wild card as Darren Binder moving up as well. Yeah, exactly. So there's uh, our two championship picks, potentially. <laughs> yeah, uh, in, vice in versa. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Shows we're not biased here <laughs> at the uh, FTGT podcast. Um, a little bit more news of re-signing. Uh, well... Yes, re-signing for next year. Uh, the Pramac duo of Johan Zarco and Jorge Martin staying the same, staying with Pramac next year. Yeah, it's a it, uh, good move for them both. It's nice to see Ducati already signing up the factory riders and now getting the Pramac as well, already done and dusted. It's nice to see all the deals done nice and early. Riders can focus on where they're going. Yeah, all set. And the, with the potential, the rumour that there may be eight Ducatis on the grid in 2022. Um, and four of those already locked up with some <laughs> very strong riders. Uh, talking of... Uh, well, we've talked about people staying in the paddock and moving up in the paddock. Unfortunately, um, there's some news about somebody moving out the paddock today. Yes, it was um, Maverick Vinales' crew chief is, is no no longer with Yamaha. Yeah, not only not his crew chief, anymore, yeah. however, he parted ways entirely uh, with Yamaha. Is the crew chief to blame, in your opinion? Not really, and I don't... Do you think Maverick had a say in it? Do you think it was his decision, or do you think it was Yamaha? Oh, I think it's got to be. If you think about what we've seen in the, the past with the... There was the Rossi, Jeremy Burgess era for so long mm. and Rossi made that decision that I've got to have a change but and the fact he's completely left Yamaha yeah that is difficult one but maybe that's because this often comes at the end of a year yeah uh we're seeing the same pattern from Maverick though that's the the thing that he's had the same crew chief is it the crew chief I mean we're gonna find out but if it's I not, think it's Maverick. He, he, well, I I think it's Maverick too. I agree with you. But he's also making a rod for his own back here because he's got rid of his crew chief. His crew mm. chief has gone from Yamaha, and if it's still the same result, he's got nobody else he can blame. Mm, and if he does think it's his crew chief, maybe this is a desperate move to try and save his factory Yamaha career, essentially. Perhaps. And perhaps he's rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic <laughs> to try and stop the sinking. But but it's. It's the same thing, and I feel the same as you that it's it's not the the crew chief. He's out there on that bike, yeah. and he gives a feedback to his crew chief as to what to do. Um, and like we say, if he what's he gonna say next if it's not working? That oh, the changing crew chief has, <laughs> has had a negative effect on things working. I don't know. I certainly can't blame the bike. No, no, <laughs> not with what his teammate is doing. Uh, just uh, one last piece of news, this this coming out uh, within the hours just leading up to his recording this, that this uh, weekend's Catalan uh, GP at Catalonia won't feature Alex Rins uh, out with a fractured wrist, but not from his his crash at Mugello. He's actually out cycling. Yeah, oh, he's, he's, he's had a torrid year so far, hasn't he? Just so much bad luck. 
Um, well, we say bad luck. Pushing and just, losing the front end in situations. Yeah, just all, pretty much, I'd say, all rider error. Which is not what you want. and It's not ideal for him when he's going to be wanting to be challenging for a championship. Because last year, that's what cost him the title, was too many little mistakes. Yeah, and the consistency we've seen from his teammate as uh, this year as well. Um, we'll we'll obviously do a full review of the GP race later, but he he when he can't push with the front runners, he is doing what he can and collecting decent points. Yeah, exactly. That's what you need to do to put in a championship win, really. And all all the news we have spoke about today, you can find it all on our Twitter, which is at FTGT Podcast, so you can keep up to date before and after episodes. Yeah, we uh, share things that tickle our fancy, our opinions, <laughs> and of course, all the news uh, from the races um, today with the news that Alex Rins is out. We've been trying to talk Sylvain Gantoli into taking his ride for the weekend <laughs> after it was great to see him out there doing the, the sort of tour guide lap for VT mm-hmm. Sport this weekend. Uh, a world champion in his own right in the yes. Superbikes. Lot, lot, so much knowledge you can just, on on the commentary, just all the detail he goes into it it was nice to have him on there. Absolutely. It was great to have reporters in the paddock again yeah. at, at both rounds. Finally getting bit back to some sort of uh, normality through these COVID times. And saying that, also the first podcast we're doing together in person, which is great, it is great. Uh, to do. Uh, we'll move on to the results from Mugello then uh, and to the Moto3. I will just say before we go into these reviews that... Um, Yamanaka and Tom Luti uh, withdrew from the weekend. Obviously, um, Yamanaka, the teammate to Jason Depassier, and uh, Tom Luti, his mentor, so completely understandable given the circumstances. Um, they withdrew uh, from the weekend on the Saturday evening before uh, Jason sadly passed away. But, of course, you've got to be in the right mindset if you're going to yeah. go out and ride in these races um, and focus and not put yourself in danger as well yeah but uh the moto three um did not disappoint <laughs> at all uh as usual what a fantastic race uh for the, the to start off this weekend at such a fantastic circuit yeah it was it was a incident packed first lap with the adrian fernandez <laughs> i thought it looked like the the VR forty six rookie, I can't remember his name. Oh, Sura, Sura, that's yeah. It. it looked like he either missed the gear or just the engine just stopped working, and Fernando just rode straight into him. Yeah, it it looked like he just stopped uh, mid corner. Yeah, very strange. It probably was in Mister Gear or something. Got mm. overexcited. I don't know. Alberto Sura uh, for the uh, VR forty six KTM. Like we said, two wild cards. Uh, there this weekend but those two going down first corner and we said it would be like first corner first lap eight abreast going in there um yes so wasn't surprised to no. see a couple tumble out there and then we had the slightly bigger incident slightly further around the lap yes with uh dennis onchu uh mino koffler and tatai all involved yeah. there uh dennis onchu sort of his own yeah he, incident. he went down all on his own then you had koffler high-sided and took out Mino and Tatai. 
Yeah, which and was frustrating, <laughs> but such a huge yeah. Uh, crack. Yeah, as you say, frustrating for you because it was uh, one of your first one time of I picked Mina. <laughs> well, I did warn you. I said <laughs> I've been doing it for weeks, and he always shows pace. He always qualifies well, and not his fault at all yeah. this time. But uh, not only not getting on the podium, but being taken out. And when they came round on the following laps, uh, Mino, the lonely spectator, mm. sat. He was sat the there fence. for nearly the whole race, just yeah. on the bank. And, and you know, it's his home race, and although the fans aren't there, you're at home. It's yeah. been a difficult weekend overall, and I do think that for everybody at the end of these races, we saw so much emotion because there was so much emotion involved yeah. this weekend. Um, but uh, Pedro Acosta made a really good start to this race. Um, but the pace of everyone, absolutely fantastic. When we look, the top 10 in this race were within a second. <laughs> absolutely fantastic. Uh, the the speed of the Leopard bike of Dennis Foggia, who did go on to win this race, I just thought, how is he not going to win? The speed yeah. of that bike. We We always say about the Leopard bike, but incredible. I don't, I don't get how they do it so consistently because like, they're all the same package. Like, all the Hondas are the same. The only thing you can really change is gear. Yeah, they just might be. It's like the um, the Evan Bros Yamaha in, in World Supersport. I know we don't officially cover this, <laughs> but I love that championship. But they say that you, there's not that much you could do to the Supersport bike, but they just make sure everything is done perfectly mm. and you've got to believe that that's what the leopard boys do you know making sure there's no burrs or anything on pistons and making sure that oil is heated so you can get the best out of it and everything and you've just got to believe they put that bike together so well yeah because it is consistently the fastest bike in a straight line which uh, a circuit like Mugello in a class of moto threes certainly gonna prove to be a race winning formula Oh yeah, it it makes such uh such a difference down that straight. Well, say it's a straight, the straight of Mugello, <laughs> this uh, curvy, bumpy piece of mm. track. Um, but so good. Dennis Fudge a really deserving win, but only just uh point zero three six of a second from Jaume Messier. Yeah, it was a like I think you you had him on the podium. It was a it was a good ride. He he really really needed this podium. <laughs> Yeah, he did. He really needed to restart this championship campaign. Obviously, his his young rookie teammate um, making the leap yeah. incredibly, as we've talked about. But Jaume uh, Messier definitely a, a a really important and a really good weekend for him. Yeah, he really needed it, and someone else who needed it was Gabri Rodrigo finally getting a podium. Yeah, his, his second ever his second podium, podium in the Moto3 class, and he's, he's been there forever, hasn't yes. he, Gabri Rodrigo? Um, but yes, so emotional as well, dedicating um, his victory not only to Jason, but also to Fausto Grassini, uh, who means such a lot to a lot of riders in the paddock. Yeah, he's gave so many riders an opportunity, hasn't he? so incredible um to see and to, the emotions from him just to get on that podium and really break through to we've we've said lots of times he's had the pace um like at Portimao before he sent himself into space which he tends to do a lot <laughs> yes yeah so showing what he can do when he finishes the race um someone we've said that about so much who we cannot say this about anymore uh an absolutely incredibly brave uh yeah. ride for Ayumi Sasaki to finish fourth as well not only through injury but you've got to believe mentally yeah. uh Sasaki involved in that uh that incident with Jason on 
on the uh, Saturday in qualifying and really going out there and, and showing what he could do. Yeah, it was it was remarkable to say. I didn't expect to see him up there, if I'm going to be honest. I wasn't sure if he was even going to race because, like you said, the emotional or mental trauma. Yeah, trauma, cause having to, yeah. to put that to one side yeah. and to go out there and race and doing a phenomenal job. Um, and Sasaki now second in the championship. Yeah, it shows what consistency can do. And he, oh sorry, third in the championship, uh, Sasaki. But yeah, as we talked about consistency, he had one non-finish uh, that we talked about at the start of the year, which was almost what we'd seen a lot of times before. But since then, no finishes outside the top 10 with a, a lowest finish of seventh. And that was the weekend, the second weekend of the year. Yeah, he's been really, really impressive this season. Could like I think you actually mentioned him for the Moto too, right? When we was having a little chat earlier, could he be someone that steps up onto the IO bike? Well, the top three in the championship at the minute are all KTM's, and we know they <laughs> yeah. all look alike. However, it's obviously Pedro Acosta at the top, Shamo Masia second, and then Ayumu Sasaki. So that consistency, as we've said, always pays off. Yeah. Um, a good finish for someone who needs to be getting them, Darren Binder in fifth. Yeah, after a few bad weeks, some of which not his own fault. It is solid points to what can be like a recovery ride in the championship terms of things. Yeah, just banking those because you never know when, we, like we said about Scott Redding getting two points in the World Superbike race, you never know how many points it's going to come down to at the end of the day. Uh, someone who's quietly been plodding away, as we said, the, the, the Marcel Schrotter of Moto3, Romano Fanati, another good finish uh, in sixth. And some of the moves he was making, uh, sort of on lap four, where you wouldn't expect them to, to be made. Romano showing his veteran skills. Yeah, definitely. It was a quality, quality ride from Romano. Well, I personally had written him off for a title contention at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and he's there or thereabouts, um, Romano. He's uh, fifth in the championship. We said he, he was third at one point, wasn't he? Yeah. So up there, certainly in contention for the top three in the championship. But you've got to believe at this point, he's looking to move on from Moto3. He's been there so long and obviously yeah. rebuilding his career from a few years ago. But to to get in the top three of a championship is a great way to, to advertise yourself to teams in a so, positive way. Yes, he's known. he was obviously known as the bad boy. Yeah, but yeah, and I, uh, I feel like he's rightly so. Yeah, definitely rightly so. But I feel like he has turned a corner. He's matured because I think it, it really showed last season when he got took out by his teammate at Lamar, and he just was like, just like tapped him on the back. It's like one of them things. Yeah, yeah. Like old Romano probably would have punched, punched him. him right in the face. <laughs> <laughs> well, the he's in a good place with uh, Max Biaggi, um running <laughs> running that Husqvarna team. Um, someone who has learnt to. Control his anger over I guess the years. I think of them too. At a, at a point in their careers, yeah, together. Yeah, if you if you made this pairing about ten years ago, Max Biaggi was a very different person. <laughs> I'm not sure how old Romano Fanati would have been ten years ago, but um, I don't know. He might have actually been racing. <laughs> he, he may well have been. Um, next in the standings, however, wasn't seventh across the line. John McPhee gets seventh in the standings. He was actually ninth across the line. Uh, however, Pedro Acosta, who is eighth in the standings and Sergio Garcia ninth. They actually finished in front of John, but as we've seen across the weekend, and we'll get more into this as we go on, track limits on the last lap dropping them places. Um, 
such minor infringements. Yes, there's the smallest of margins, really. And like you you said at the time, I'm not quite sure how McPhee went up two spaces. Yeah, because, well, I, I get it if they are dropping a space to the next person who didn't exceed track limits. The only way I can think it happened is... Because obviously the, when they crossed the line, it was, what, Acosta, Garcia, McPhee? Correct. I'm... The only way I can think it's happened is because Garcia did his quite early in the lap and McPhee could have been behind him then, so they've moved McPhee in front of him. And then Acosta's, and then Acosta's done, done his... it towards the end of the lap. So then just moved him beyond McPhee because McPhee's already moved up ahead yeah. of Because completely Garcia. different to what we saw happen in the MotoGP in the same situation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll come on to that one in a bit, but track limits played such a part in all three races. This yeah. was probably the least... It played a part but the out most of the confused, three championships. But nearly the most confusing. Yes. <laughs> the yeah. GP rivals. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. Well, equally because of this happening earlier yeah. in the day and sending a precedent. Uh, rounding out the top 10 for this race, a uh, good finish for Tatsuki Suzuki. Callahan uh, getting there. Uh, as we said, the top 10 all within a second of each other this week. Mugello's a great track. <laughs> oh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, just to have a look at the, the championship following that, uh, Pedro Acosta still top with that eighth play to finish. Um, his equal worst result from the week before when he slid off, uh, two eighths, uh, but on 111 points. And he has quite the lead over <laughs> Jamal Messia, who's on 59, closely followed, as we said, by Ayumi Sasaki, whose consistency is playing dividends for him, just two points behind second place in the championship. Yep, consistency was the theme last year. Yeah, and, you know, it, it seems to be the way always in racing isn't it if you finish and you stay on the bike you're gonna do all right Mm -hmm. uh we'll move on to moto two now this really was uh an action-packed race um perhaps even more so than moto three this week (laughs) yeah uh as we started from the very beginning uh off the line, Marco Bezzecchi. He he was doing a burnout and then <laughs> was... just kicked the bike sideways. But it, I was like, oh, that's that's strange. When you first saw it, the big like the kick, I was like, oh, that was a good save. I'm like, that's weird for that to happen. Usually the traction control gets it. And when they zoomed in on the replay, you just see his back wheels already spinning. Yeah, like they said that it's very like you never see that ever. And whether he hadn't set his his start limiter or well it must have been he hadn't started it had yeah. his start limiter but that he didn't know that that was happening is bizarre to me yeah. um but surely yes. it would have just done a bit of movement yeah he'd have felt it's even spinning. if, he, could, if he, he couldn't hear it because he, he must have felt it yeah. <laughs> but maybe yeah. maybe he was going for a new strategy <laughs> maybe it didn't work though. <laughs> Not I'm surprised he didn't lose as many spaces as he did actually. Yeah, he, he made did. a great recovery into he, the first corner. He did make a great recovery as we we sort of would expect. Um unlike uh, Della Porta and Chandra who uh took each other out going into the first corner. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, but also a terrible start. Well, not terrible, but a bad start from Sam Lowe's. Yeah, it's it's something Sam's been working on a lot because he's he has struggled from the starts for quite a lot. I think which is why he's been like important. Why he was so desperate on the brakes. Yeah, and he we knew he had the pace. 
across this weekend. It was it's something we've seen from Sam this year is that he can qualify well and we know he's got the pace, but then he's he's not getting the best of starts yeah. and then he's trying well, we've seen he tried to make up with for them too much too quickly. Not the case this week. He did uh settle down and sort of work his way through the pack. Um where people were sort of going out left, right and centre. We we had uh Nicolo Bulliger, he didn't even make the race due to a shoulder injury, but you know, we lost Augusto Fernandez in a crash lap one, we lost the Baldazari lap four, Navarro lap five, um Xavi Vierge uh lap seven, um last year's Moto three champion, Albert Arenas lap twelve, and then this is where things really started to to go Badly for the front runners. So we had that group of um, Ralph Fernandez really out front, really pulled out a long way. You've got Remy and Digi trying to go with him, and Sam Lowe's trying to catch him up. And there, the whole race just sort of turned on its head. Yeah, because you had Digi go down on, on lap twelve at the. I think it was the was it final, it was final corner. Yeah, just slid out front end, and then. Lowe's just followed him a few laps later. Yeah, on lap 16 where Sam was... He got into second place. Yeah, he was a second. He was catching uh, Raul Fernandez and he was pushing to try and do it. I find it hard to criticise Sam this week because it's not like he looked like he was on a ragged edge. He looked like he was smooth. He was definitely catching Raul Fernandez and the bike let go. It wasn't he'd had warnings beforehand, or at least not that we saw on on the television coverage, that it was slipping away or he was pushing it too hard and it was giving him those warnings. I think this was unfortunate for Sam. Yeah, I, I still think he obviously he obviously was pushing over the limit because he crashed. But like you said, it wasn't like early in the race trying to make up too many positions too early. But. 20 points is still pretty good and he's got he's uh, it always looked like Raul could have maybe dropped back to them because I think was he, he was on the softer of the tyres wasn't he he was yeah and th- we saw that towards the end so someone who was there or thereabouts and didn't push too much uh, was Remy Gardner um, he sort of sat back and let the race come to him almost because yeah. we saw as Sam went down Two laps later, Ralph Fernandez's lap times dropped off. <laughs> yeah. And you just, in hindsight, you think, oh, if he'd just sat there and waited. But he wouldn't have known that no. at the time. But Ralph Fernandez coming back and back and back. And Remy Gardner, what a last lap yeah. to win the race uh, by 0.014 over his teammate, Ralph Fernandez. He set up the move incredibly well. Yeah, he did. He didn't sort of, he, he sort of sat the bike up going into the corner to get the power yeah. out the corner. Uh, absolutely fantastic racecraft from Remy. More like good racing coming down in like the third and fourth spot between Joe Roberts and Marco Bezecchi because Bezecchi just seemed to drop off. And then once he read, like, when he saw, like he even said, once he saw Sam was down, he was like, oh, maybe, yeah. maybe I could get maybe, a podium. Maybe I'll be up there. I mean, in what a battle between the two. Joe Roberts was one who came through. He was 10th on the grid and he, he really did have to work his way through the race. Um, and just getting Marco Bezzecchi across the line on the last lap 
However, it was taken away from him with track limits. Oh, so the top two in the race, the Akiyo KTM uh, yeah. of Remy and Raul. Third place given to him was Marco Bezzecchi. And, you know, for me, I've got a double-edged sword here. I picked him for the championship, but I've been disappointed. And I've got to be honest, despite him being on the podium, I am disappointed with this result. <laughs> because if it hadn't been for other people's mistakes and the absolute disgrace that this track limit <laughs> thing was with Joe Roberts because he gained no advantage here coming out of that no, corner no, he did he did gain an advantage because but why is that little piece of yeah. green there on the way out of that corner yeah. right either put the grass there or extend the curve yeah there was no real advantage from that smidgen but it didn't make a difference not, in the race not, yeah not enough to do that no. considering how close they were across the line at the end. But if you took out... So Digi crashed in front of him. Sam Lowe's crashed in front of him. Joe Roberts uh, demoted mm. due to that track limits. Marco Bezzecchi should have been like sixth or seventh. Because you also had Arbelino in front of him and he just... I think he, he, he just had, must have had some type of issue because he just dropped like a stone. He did. He he was fairly strong earlier in the race. But so exactly. So Marco Bezzecchi, by rights, I know this is racing and people crash out. However, I am disappointed in his performance this year in general. I I expected more from the man. Mm. And... I'm not saying he doesn't deserve a podium because that isn't true. If you get there, you deserve to finish there. However, the performance was not what I expected for someone to get up on that podium. I, I get what you're saying, but it, you could kind of look back to the World Superbikes with Locatelli when I mentioned like quite a few did fall off in front of him, but he's like he's got to stay on to earn it. But like, I, think I, I see what is... you mean. He should have been at the front challenging rather yeah, than languishing yeah. back like six or seven seconds. Because he wasn't near Sam. He no. wasn't near Digi and he wasn't near Remy and Raoul. And Joe Roberts caught him. And passed him. And passed him. And beat him. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he well beat him across the line. I mean, the, they were eight seconds back. Yeah. And, uh, well, I'm going to stop ranting now. <laughs> oh, the thing I was disappointed most about him was the fact that he was like, when he said, well, once I saw Sam, I was like, oh, maybe I could do something. Like, why aren't you thinking that? Yeah, I know why? you're eight seconds, but still push. Yeah, because you should people still be. Yeah, right, <laughs> as we saw with what happened. Uh, so, yes, Joe Roberts demoted to fourth and um, understandably annoyed yeah. about what had happened. Um, but then the rules, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> fifth place. Uh, the Schrotter line has moved up again. It's moving up. It's moving up a lot. <laughs> it was sixth uh, out at Le Mans. Uh, fifth place for Marcel. What a fantastic finish for him this weekend. It was, and there was some fantastic finishes for the next th- th- uh, four riders down from him as well. Yeah, we talk about rookies in the class. So sixth, uh, one of our rising stars from the year, Ayagura, uh, an absolutely fantastic finish for him in sixth. You talked about it a little bit earlier, Tony Arbolino. I predicted a podium, and at the beginning of the race, I was looking really good, but not quite sure what happened there with Tony. Not sure. It just started dropping like a stone. Yeah, finishing seventh, still a good top ten finish. Yep. I haven't heard any more about what happened there, but I would say, you know, still showing his potential and showing that he's found his way around that Moto2 bike because he didn't drop out of the points. No. Seventh, I'll take that. It's a very respectable position. Yeah, and we do love Tony. Yeah. <laughs> uh, eighth, uh, Cameron Bovier. Uh, and then in ninth place, the uh, 
first of the non-Calyx finishes. Um, it's not a Boscoscaro, as it has been every other time. Uh, it's not an MV Augusta. It's the NTS of Javi Siren. <laughs> it's it's really, really remarkable. Like, obviously, the, ch- the changes have made because they've been allowed to make some changes. Yeah, they've been allowed to develop that bike a bit more uh, this year. And it's not like it was way off the pace. He was in that group that went from... Uh, that had uh, Cameron Bobier in it from 8th down to uh, about 13th, Hector Garzo, sort of the last person in that that group. Um, but really competitive. And then just rounding out the top 10, a good finish for Stefano Manzi uh, before we got to the two Boscoscuros um, of Aaron Canna in 11th. Mm-hmm. And it, those results have really still kept the championship nice, nice and tight with... Remy and um, Raul, first and second. Obviously, there's only, what, like a six-point gap between the two of them? Yeah, so Remy Garner still leading the championship, extending it with that uh, sort of last few, uh, last lap efforts. Uh, 114 points over Raul Fernandez in second with 108 points. Then we drop to Marco Bezzecchi, uh gaining that podium through any means. Uh, <laughs> 88 points, 22 points behind him. Uh, is Sam Lowe's, who really needs to be putting the consistency in three non-finishes in the year now. Um, and he's being closely followed. So only six points behind him is uh, is Digi. Yeah, Sam really can't afford to make any more mistakes. We'll move on to the, uh, the Premier class now. And this race was uh, absolutely just probably the most action-packed MotoGP race for a little while in terms of sort of incidents in the first part of the race. Um, even coming off the, 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 the end of the warm-up lap, Enea Bastianini hit Zarco from behind. Yeah, obviously, Enea was looking down at the, at the dash or trying to figure something out in terms of launch control and Zarco in front of him was slamming on the brakes to either warm up or engage that front start, con- start device. And then Enea looks up and... There's a Zarco in the way. Yeah, like uh, Neil Hodgson said on the commentary on the BT Sport, there's so much they have to do at the start of the race now. Like you say, Zarco is is warming up the brakes, lowering the bike, getting things set up. Enea coming on, he's looking at his screen, he's setting something up, and as you say, there's just a Zarco there and and hit him up the back. Um, Enea didn't make the race. We saw him running down pit lane um, to, to, I assume, to try and get to a spare bike, mm. but not out there in the race. And uh, who knows what damage it, it did to Zarko's bike, um, you know, making a mess of his salad box. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you don't want that, do you? Because nobody knows what's in there, so it could have done anything to the bike, really. And, exactly. and to be fair, I'm surprised they just started the race. I expected a slight delayed start. Yeah, because they didn't delay the start or clear <laughs> the bike or... <laughs> Anything. I mean, it was behind everybody. Yeah. Um, and they got it up and sort of started moving it off the grid before they let him go. And when they did go, what a fantastic start for Fabio Quattararo. We talked about uh, hole shot devices and setting them up, but Yamaha uh, have now updated theirs, so it's on both the front and the back of the bike, like yeah. we talked about earlier in the year, um, but really did pay dividends uh, until the speed of the Ducati plate came into play. Yeah, because... They had a fairly even start, and once it got up into like that fourth gear type of range, it just absolutely just accelerated past the Yamaha. Yeah, yeah, and Pekka Banyaya uh, taking the lead. 
early on um, and starting to, to to pull out a bit of a gap. Um, we we saw some incidents throughout this race and one that really surprised me was uh, Mark Marquez doing very un-Mark Marquez things and trying to force a move on Brad Binder. It it seemed desperate. I like I, I didn't see like the start of the incident itself. Like, like I'm not entirely sure what happened because when looking at the replay I couldn't quite pick it up where it was. So I did struggle to see exactly what happened, but it just seemed a strange crash. Yeah, not like Mark. We know Mark's a tough rider and if there's a gap there he'll go for it. But to try and ride through someone, I mean he he's come out and said it's a racing incident, but if there is any blame it's mine. Um but just the Honda as a whole is not working well. Um, mm. And unfortunately, Frankie Morbidelli getting caught up in that when he's he's having to run off the track to avoid Mark Marquez and uh, losing out. And not he he didn't recover into a point scoring position. The only person uh, he was in front of was Luca Marini. Yeah, and you, just Pippin and both was Savadori. Yes, uh, Lorenzo Salvador and the Aprilia getting points once again in a 15th place finish, which is a, a brilliant uh, to see. Becoming quite the point machine, Salvador. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And we say you've got to, you've got to finish to get those points. Um, but a really surprising non-finisher, uh, Pekka Bagnaia, he pulled out in front. Um, and a, a strange accident with getting the back wheel on the kerb and just losing the bike. Yeah, he just... Completely rider error, like you said, just runs slightly wide onto the curbs and front tucked and down he goes. Yeah, yeah. It, would you say it's it's pressure, Gatorm, Italian, Italian bike, home race, the the dream of the... never won a race either. It's it is, it it very reminiscent of Takanakagami in Aragon. Yeah, exactly. Where he said the pressure got to him and and. You know, definitely rider error for Pecco and what could have been a, a really good weekend for him. Yeah, and it was also um, rider error for the Taka crash in this race where he, uh, is it BNDTS's? Yeah, when he, he again just took just way too much curb. Way and, too much curb and, and dropping that bike. But he was the man, we talked about Mark Marquez um, not being himself and the bike not doing things. Uh, Mick Doohan on the grid saying, you know, Honda need to pull their finger out and help these guys. But this wasn't a Honda issue. Taka throwing it down the road. Yeah. But he was the top Honda within the top 10. Um, if we look at uh, the top 10 of the race, Fabio Cotteraro, uh, an absolutely fantastic win for him. You know, we knew he was going to be fast. First on the grid uh, through qualifying, looking really strong and, and pulling out that win over what for me was a surprise, the KTM of Miguel Oliveira. Yeah, really just does show how much they are affected by when they have to use the asymmetric front tyre where obviously this not asymmetric they can just use the hard and it, it just obviously works really good for that bike exactly and do you think this is ktm turning a corner or do you think when we get to tracks and go back to the asymmetric tyres you're going to see a return for them dropping down the order i think we'll see a return to them dropping because especially next week catalonia that's going to be an asymmetric tyre and i don't think and i it's, I think it's just mainly a tyre issue they have. Their bike just doesn't work with the softer front tyre. Yeah. Uh, third place, uh, Johan Mir on the Suzuki. Uh, more consistent points for him, unlike his teammate. Uh, we said Alex Rins uh, losing the front. We talked about it earlier when we talked about his, 
his accident uh, that's ruled him out of the Catalan Grand Prix this weekend. But um, pushing again and not settling for points. Just unnecessary. He, like, I think the most unnecessary one so far was the Portimao one where he was clearly going past the limit. Yeah. Because he was never going to keep with Fabio then. No, and could have settled for some good points. But again, pushing here, but that's four races now. With, yeah, with a non-finish. Where they've all been rider error. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I showed last year how important the consistency was, and again this year. However, these two on the last lap, uh, they did finish the race in this order, but then Miguel Oliveira was demoted one place due to exceeding track limits. Mm. Uh, then they're about to go up on the podium, and it comes up from the stewards that they're reinstated because Mia also mm. uh, went out exceeded track limits. I I thought they were going to miss that because. When the Oliveira one happened, I was actually shouting at the TV, but look, on, on the replay, I was like, Mia did it too. Yeah, I exactly. was convinced he did, even, even though Mia was even less on the green than Oliveira. But if you look at the logic for the Moto3, yeah. that uh, John McPhee jumped up two places with Pedro Acosta and uh, Sergio Garcia uh, running on, Zarco should have finished second in this race. Look, see, I, I disagree. This is, like, at the time... I, I think it's more to do with they did it in different places and where they were on the track, where this one occurred at the exact same moment, really. Both coming out of the same corner, doing it at the same time. So, by that logic, I think Zarco should have finished third. He, sh- he should have beat Mir, because by the rule in, they have to drop a position. So, I think he should have finished third. But then, well, either way, the Moto3 or this, because they're the same situation, they should have been the same. Mm. Either John McPhee should have only gained one place or Zarco no should have gained two or none, like yeah. I said. I'd love to know what the, the c- logic behind it was. It could have been maybe the gap from Mia to Zarco. Yes, because we know the Moto3 were very close together. Um, and we, we said earlier with my, my rant about Joe Roberts that it wasn't really much time to be made up. Um, but Zarco was half a second behind at the line, so maybe it was that. Uh, fifth place, another good finish for the KTM Brad Binder, uh, benefiting from um, the the tyre choices available this weekend. Jack Miller, um, a bit of a difficult weekend for Jack. Um, the expectation on an Italian bike at a home round after two wins was quite high, um, but just struggling a little bit. You know, it's it's not a bad result, but qualifying fifth, finishing sixth. Yeah, just just off the pace all weekend, and these are the type of results that. Rins a struggle to do when he's been off the pace he's pushed too hard and crashed where I think Jack knew he was off the pace and we just tried to get any points he could get because it's at the end of the day they all know it's a long season yeah and we don't know how many it's going to come to down at the end uh, behind him uh, was the first Aprilia of Alicia Espargaro um, not getting up there to, to try and claim this uh, Aprilia podium at, at their home track Um but, you know, a top 10 finish again for a leash. Yeah, and then, then he was followed by someone who was, was even further off the pace than a leash, and that was Maverick Vinales. Yeah. I mean, what can you say? He was 17 seconds back off his teammate on exactly the same bike, and he was fastest in the free practice sessions earlier in the weekend. Um, it's the same pattern. We'll see, like we said, he's fired his, his crew chief, and we'll see if that makes a difference, but... I, it's the same pattern we've seen for for three years now. Yeah, I, I, I can't see it making a difference. Who knows? It, even if it does make a difference, he'll probably win at Catalonia, then just disappear again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, gonna, like he did last year. Does that mean you're going to pick him in your predictions? 
Who knows? <laughs> Ninth and 11th place I'll talk about to, together. The two Tectoire KTMs definitely benefiting somewhat, not just following around at the back of the field, um, benefiting generally for the KTM. And we know the Tectoire guys are struggling and potentially both being replaced. Potentially. Uh, I, I, I think they will because I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, they are still on the same bikes as the factory KTMs. I believe so, yeah. So the only reason, obviously, to be that low is the riders themselves. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen that all four KTMs have struggled in the yeah. same places, but not to the same extent. Yeah. Um, tenth place, Valentino Rossi. Um, At least it was a top ten. <laughs> yeah. But I never thought we'd say that. Even last year, I didn't think we'd ever say, it's great to see Rossi in the top ten. Um it's, I think he'll be as last year. Yeah, it's looking more and more like that. The from what he said since and making the decision over the summer break, I think we may well see uh, Rossi retire. So I really hope we get some fans back towards the end of the year. Um, something else I didn't think I'd ever say really. Well, we we saw it a little bit last year with the issues they had, but twelfth place for the top Repsol Honda. We know Takin Akagami was further up than Polis Bargro in twelfth, but. Uh, the Honda really not working. No, the, they need they need to get some. They need to fix that bike quick because it's not just in MotoGP. We saw it's been struggling in World Superbikes as well. Yeah, Honda generally World yeah. Championships. It's uh, not coming together. Uh, following him, uh, someone I very wrongly predict was going to beat Johan Zarco, his standing teammate, uh, Michele Pirro. Uh, I did message you after the practice session and say, I hope I can edit that out. It's a bit <laughs> wrong, but I left it in. That's my bad. Uh, one that I'm quite pleased didn't come to fruition because it's great <laughs> to see Zarco up there. Uh, he was followed by uh, Alex Marquez. Uh, on the LCR Honda, um, more of the same for Alex this season. Uh, and then as we talked about, Lorenzo Savadori getting the last mm-hmm. point. Um, and that uh, brings the standings in the MotoGP. Fabio Quattararo, 105 points with that brilliant win, helped by the new starting technology. Johan Zarco back into second in the championship, 81 points. And just behind him, the two factory Ducatis of Peko Bagnaia on 79 and Jack Miller on 74. So certainly very, very close at the moment. Yep, things are looking good for France. And another thing that is looking quite close, our predictions. Yes, so with the World Superbikes, I pipped you by just a one point. Um, but uh, as we look to the MotoGP, it started quite well for me. The only Moto3 runner uh, we predicted to be on the podium that got on the podium was Jaume Vassier. Um, uh, that got me one point for my podium predictions. Uh, in the Moto2, I got Bezeki and Remy on the podium, but uh, I got them in the wrong places. So two points for me from there. You predicted another complete podium, however, once again in the wrong order. So you got two points for Remy Gardner getting you the win as predicted, but uh, Bezeki and Raul Fernandez the wrong way around. So a point each. And in the MotoGP, we both got a point for predicting Fabio on the podium, but none of the Ducatis making the podium as we predicted, and not Takanakagami. <laughs> my uh, first podium prediction so you have beaten me by one point in the MotoGP so five points to four there so after all of those races there's no change in the overall it stays exactly the same (laughs) however we move on to the Catalan Grand Prix uh, this weekend where 
there's been some fantastic races the one that springs to mind for me uh rossi and lorenzo uh that last corner move where rossi got his 99th victory over bike 99 um so with the predictions what are you going for this weekend uh let's start with the moto three uh moto three someone who's slowly building up a recovery and did pretty well here last year darren binder that's great, yeah. He he won here uh, last year in the in the Moto Three class again on the KTM last year. So more of the same. Who have you got joining him? Um, joining him, it's it's hard not to pick him on the podium, like I always say. The rookie sensation, Pedro Acosta. Okay, so recovering from the two eighth place finishes, mm-hmm. one was really a sixth place, but we won't talk about <laughs> that. Uh, two eighth place finishes to recover back onto the podium, yeah. And then the final position, someone who did pretty well here last year. Similar to Binder, but did really well last time out to this Dennis Fagia. Yeah, so Dennis Fagia, that win at Mugello, building on that one and repeating his success with a third place, uh, the same as last year at Catalonia. So what have you gone for? What are your three? Our podium is very, very similar. Uh, so I've also gone Brad Binder to win. Oh, uh, Brad Binder, Darren Binder. <laughs> I was going to say win. that would have, that would have been a real. That, well, that would have been really. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Darren Binder to win. I've gone an Akiyo KTM in second place. However, it's the teammate Ooh. is Jaume Masia, and. I've also gone down this project for third. Oh, so it's just the second place. Yeah, and the same team, same bike, just different rider. Um, how about your Moto2? Are we going to be quite similar there? Uh, Moto2 has a bit more of a Akiyo theme to it. So winning the race from a great race last time, Remy Gardner. Okay. Pressure, pressure's off now. He's got that contract. He can just focus all on this season. And he's got that first win of the year. Exactly. So a lot of pressure off for Remy. Exactly. And he's followed up by... Someone who did pretty good here last year and who's been pretty consistent, apart from the last race, I've actually gone second place, Digi. Okay, yeah, very good. And then in third place, title contender, Ralph Fernandez. Right, so Raul showing more of the same. He, mm. he did struggle a bit in the Moto3 here last year. He did, but he did qualify in second place. Yes, yes, which, so he had that overall pace. Because he, he always struggled a bit in the races with Tyre Deg being... Bigger. Be bigger, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd put in that forward. I just want to th- throw an honor- honourable mention fourth place, Arbelina. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Marcel Schotter. <laughs> eking up the Schotter lot. You know? Yeah, well, it'd only be one more place from last time. Uh, for my Moto2, I've got winning the race, Digi. So I'm going, uh, just uh, swapping your first two results, and Remy coming in second. Oh, okay. Um, but third, I've got someone who's been growing in stature and should have been on the podium this weekend, Joe Roberts. Oh, I, I was thinking, Joe, because he, he had a pretty good race here last year. I think he was it, was it sixth place he ended up last year? Uh, fifth, fifth last year for Joe Roberts, yeah, and uh, qualifying seventh, so good pace within the top ten. Yeah. And I just think he's going to have one on him. Definitely, because uh, he... He got pipped, was it, by Remy at Portimao as well? Yeah, yeah, exactly. At that final corner. And then he, so he's still actually yet to get a podium. He is. And this one had to be really frustrating yeah. not to get. And I think he's going to have the bit between his teeth. We're going to see Joe Roberts stand on the podium this weekend in Spain. So the Premier Class then, who are you going for? So was pretty, pretty good Leo last year. And he's the flying Frenchman, Fabio Quattararo, for the win. 
So a, a win here two years in a row. Uh, a good pick. The best all-round bike, as we've yeah. said, improved even more with the new whole shot device. Definitely. Uh, and someone who's on fantastic form, fantastic Fabio for the win. Yes. Who's joining him on the box? I think it might be the first or second time I've picked him this year, but Mr. Consistent, the the defending champion, Johan Mir. Okay, so... A repeat of the top two from last year. Yes. Um, but uh, carrying that through, I do think it's difficult to, to bet against Mia getting on the podium. And he's going to be followed up to make it three different manufacturers in the top three. Recovering from a mistake last time out, Pekka Bagnaia. Okay, yeah, he finished fourth here last year, um, uh, but was on pole here last year. Mm. So it'd be interesting to see. And he, he needs to get back on that form. Yeah. I think that's a really good pick. What about yourself? What's your, what's your Premier Class podium? So is it again quite similar, but it, with a few tweaks? Yes, yes, <laughs> it is. So first, I can't disagree. I think it's going to be Fabio. I think he's on form. I've quite openly touted. I think the Yamaha is the best all-round bike, um, with the man on form on it. So Fabio to win for me. Second, I've put a Ducati on the podium, like you. However, I've gone Johan Zarco. Oh, a French one too. Yes. So last year, uh, Zarco not finishing the race, but he did qualify in sixth. So he's got pace around here, and I'd like to see... And that was on the Avintia as well. It was, exactly. And I was just about to say, I want to see what he can do on a more competitive bike. So I think he's going to qualify better, maybe front row, and then going to stick it up there on the podium. Oh, and who have you got rounding off? I've also got Mr. Consistency, uh, not finishing off the podium, the defending champion, Johan Mir. So with all our picks in all the classes, this could be a really tight one for our predictions. Uh, So we look forward to that. That's all the time we've got uh, for this week. A really bumper episode uh, with uh, all the racing coming your way. We'll be back next week to review uh, the Catalan GP and make our predictions for the next World Superbike round. but it's been really, really good. Uh, obviously, a very difficult weekend. And again, we uh, send our condolences to the friends, family, uh, teammates um, of Jason DePasquier um, from here, everyone here at the uh, From the Gravel Trap podcast. Yeah, and you can check us out on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, Twitter is at FTGT Podcast, and our Facebook is From the Gravel Trap Podcast. Thank you very much for listening.